Good morning. Welcome to Southridge Baptist Church. We're excited to have each and every one of you. So great to see you. Glad to have you. If you have your Bible, would you take it to Genesis chapter number 50? Wrapping up our series this morning, Genesis chapter number 50. We are honored and glad and thrilled to have each and every one of you. We're super excited to have some guests with us in our service. All the way from North Carolina, we have a visiting youth group. They're on their senior trip. I got to tell you what, normally it takes us like 30, 45 minutes to empty out the trailer. The trailer was empty and unloaded in about five minutes. But here's, here's my issue. Here's my issue with the guys. All right, let me pick on the guys from this youth group. The girls can way outlift you guys. Like, for real, for real, okay? They were picking up those bat and those boxes and carrying them, and then I see the guys, they grab a music stand. Whoo, I'm sweating, you know, and everything, you know, the music stand. I'm like, is that too much? You know, do we need to get a dolly or something? No. Great to have them. Thank you so much, Mr. Lopez, for bringing the group. I got to tell you what. I don't know how he's still alive. After spending like a week with teens, like going nonstop, they landed in LAX and they have not stopped since they landed. And they've just been going strong. So uh, we got to get them some coffee right after this. Or maybe we just get them like an IV with a drip caffeine thing just to help him out this morning, just kind of help him. But it is great to have him. So glad each and every one of you are here. We're in a series entitled Living a Better Story. We started this series a couple weeks ago. We've been looking at the life of Joseph and we're asking ourselves this question. What story is our life saying or telling? What's the story? We all love a story. We love great stories. You ever had a great story that just kind of kept you up at night? I mean, you just couldn't put the book down or you just couldn't turn it off. You just had one of those days you didn't have work, didn't have school, so Netflix, and you're just catching up. You're just kind of binge watching. And I mean, your, your eyes are like bloodshot. You can barely keep them open and you just, you just keep on going. And that was like the other night for my wife and I, typically Sunday night, I said, I'm so amped up from the day. I just got to find the dumbest old comedy you can find. My wife's like, why do you watch this? I was like, because I just need to check out, you know, my brain just kind of needs to. And so we were watching this old movie and we were just both watching it and I'm just falling asleep hard throughout the movie. And she's like, let's just go to bed. I'm like, no, let's keep going, you know? And it's just like, I will finish this. Your eyes are are barely open. She's like, you're snoring intermittently and it's ruining the movie for me. So she's like, we got to pick what we're going to do here. So excited to have them here. Excited that they're still standing. Genesis chapter number 50, we're talking about a story. And um, we want our, our stories to be like that, don't we? We want our life story to be one where we look back years from now and we're able to tell this story to our kids and our grandkids. And as we're telling our story, we don't want to have to leave parts out. Do you know what I'm saying? You don't want to have to say from... 18 to about 28, we're just not going to talk about that. Like, just ignore, don't ask, don't, don't, don't look for old Facebook photos. Like, we're just going to ignore that. Or, hey, you know what? Um, this season of my life, I made some poor decisions. Just ignore it. No. We want to be able to look back on our life and say, you know what? Yeah, there were some tough moments. There were some hard moments. But I wouldn't trade it for the world. Because that's what makes a great story. It keeps you up. You can't wait to get to the next chapter, but then you don't want to finish it. You want a story that just kind of stays with you. I believe that's what God intended for our lives to be. That our lives leave what we would call a legacy. That they would tell a story long after we're gone. That people are still talking about it. The influence, the impact that each and every one of us had on their lives. And so this morning, we're going to look at this character of Joseph at the end of his life. 
And Joseph is one of those, I think, monumental characters of God's word. It's amazing that even though he doesn't have as much notoriety as like a character like Abraham or like a character like Moses, he gets tons of room in the, in the Bible and in, in Genesis. He gets all this space where it's just his story. His is the longest recorded in Genesis, his life story. And we started from where he got his coat. We started there, his life story. We went on through how he lost his coat. And even though you lose your coat, you still haven't lost your calling. And so we kept on going with the theme. And so now we're in chapter number 50. And I want to pick it up at the beginning of verse number 15. And we're going to read down through verse number 21. After this, at this scene, we come to the point where Joseph is now reunited with his brothers. He's gone to get his father and he's brought his father to Egypt. They have been given this beautiful land and the land was the name of Goshen. And if you really like Goshen, there is a Goshen in central California off the 99. If you just feel like I got to go there, I need to be in Goshen. That's not the same Goshen. But if you just want to say I've been to Goshen, then uh, there is a Goshen, California. You can go there. But um, here in this passage, they were given this land. It was a beautiful land. It was right off the Nile Delta. Joseph's family, their herds and shepherds. So this would be the greenest, best land in this drought. This, this would be it. And so that's where they live. But then Joseph's father, Jacob, passes away. And that's where we're going to pick it up, beginning in verse number 15. And can we, out of respect for the word of God, can we stand? The scripture will be up on the screen, and we're going to stand for the reading of God's word. I promise I won't keep you standing long, but I will just read a few verses, beginning in verse number 15. The Bible says, And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us, and will certainly requite us of all the evil which we did unto him. They even admit what they did to their brother was evil. Isn't that amazing? They got it. They knew that they did something messed up to him. They, they, their, their own conscience pricked them. And the Bible says in verse number 16, and they sent a messenger unto Joseph saying, thy father did command before he died saying, so shall you say unto Joseph, forgive I pray thee now the trespass of thy brethren and their sin for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespasses of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. It's interesting. They have to bring up dad. They say, hey, remember, remember you, dad commanded you. Remember, you made a promise. You're not going to hurt us. We pinky swore on that. Come on. I mean, that was a pinky swear. You don't go back on a pinky swear. Okay. So, so don't hurt us. Don't, don't get even Stephen. And then the Bible says just broke Joseph's heart. Verse number 18, and his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, Ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. I love that. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. You know, whenever I say I meant to, it usually means I didn't. My wife will say, did you take the garbage out? I meant to. Usually for me, that means I didn't. Um, my wife would come to me sometimes, hey, did you take the dogs out? I meant to. Usually means I didn't. You ever had a I meant to moment? Oh, you're just going to leave me hanging? Is that how you're going to roll? Okay. <laughs> Hateful people. My goodness. No. But we've all had those moments where we meant to. Here's the wonderful thing about this passage. When God says he meant to, he did. 
He does, and he will. We're going to, before we, before we continue this message, I need you to find five people and give them a hug, high five, handshake, and say, it's great for you to see me this morning. So just tell them, find five people, tell them it's great for them to see you this morning. Five people, welcome them, greet them, tell them it's going to be a great day together. Once you've done so, you can find your seat. Find your seat. We all spend our lives telling a story. What story is your life going to tell? Some of you, you're at the beginning of your story. You're just in the prologue. You know, you're just kind of uh, uh, getting launched into the story. Some of you say, hey, you know what? I'm about, uh, uh, I'm in the, the kind of a, maybe a climax scene in my life. Or some of you, you're, you're, you're at the epilogue. You're kind of maybe the end notes or the footnotes toward the end of the book. And you're saying, my life is not much left. And so we need to be careful about the story that we're writing, the story that that we're telling. But here's the amazing thing as you look at this passage. You see, it's God is not just the God of a good cause, but I love the fact that God is the God of a lost cause. Because that's really what Joseph was left for. They thought Joseph, we threw him into pit, we sold him to the Ishmaelites, and Joseph's brothers just thought, Joseph's gone for good. He's off the scene. And you have to think, because from the moment in chapter 37 to chapter 50 is a time span of 22 years. Some of us aren't even 22 years old. So, I mean, for some of this is hard to imagine, 22. For some of you, you're 22 times, two or three times. You know, I mean, you, you've seen some years and, and you've been through it. You know what 22, and for some of you, you're like, 22, that's nothing. That's a short amount of time. But for some of us, we're like, no, that's long. Regardless, it's still a long period of time. And so we've got to see that it would have been easy for Joseph to think, God, have you left me here? Have you abandoned me? Have you forgotten about me, your servant? Have you forgotten the dream that you gave me? Have you forgotten all that you promised me? Have you left me here to just kind of be a slave and work out the end of my days? God, what's going on? And for some of you may be thinking, God, I'm in this difficulty. I've been without a job for a couple years now. Lord, the economy's not so great. Or, or Lord, my relationships, they're struggling right now. And I don't know how much longer I can, I can keep going and keep doing this. Or some of you, you're thinking, man, a college or high school, it's just so long and it's just wearing me down. I don't know if I can keep this up. And some of you are in that season. You're in the middle of that season. You're thinking, I'm just about to quit. I'm about to walk away. But here, I need to remind us that God is not just the God of the lost cause, but he's there when it just kind of seems like all hope is lost. But I love the fact that through it all, in Joseph's life, he overcame all the trials, all the temptation, and he's standing in chapter 50, and he's got this amazing report about God. He says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. It shows me that when somebody has bad intentions, there can still be good inventions. That you may think that, man, I got this guy, he's at my work, he's just out to get me. I got this boss and he's just out there and he's out there to ruin my life or I've just got this issue in my life and it just seems like this is gonna ruin me. This is gonna destroy me. And I need to remind us that what some people may have bad intentions, God overrules and can bring about good inventions. Not only that, a wrong turn can still have a good turnout. A wrong turn can still have a good turnout. You may be thinking, man, I made some poor decisions in my life. God can overrule that. God can turn it around. A wrong accusation, but a good outcome. You say, how did all that come to 
come to pass, though? How did God bring about all this? Because, I mean, think about it. Joseph's in a strange land with no parents, no pastor, no youth group, no Bible, no podcast, no TV. He didn't have any of that. And how does he still turn out? And it has to do with what we're going to focus on this morning. And the title of the message is Focused Faith. You know, sometimes uh, we talk about focus. And focus is a powerful thing, isn't it? How many of you ever played sports? Any sports participants here? Excellent. Put your hands down if you would. How many of you, you heard your coach say, focus, just focus. You heard that? I think that's all my coach knew how to say. I don't think he knew anything else, but he'd just say, focus, just focus. Like anything else, any tips, techniques, focus. If you just focus, we're going to be fine. No, we're losing every single game badly. I think we need more than just focus. And then some of you, you may be thinking about your teenager, like if they would just focus, man, they would be great. They would, the school wouldn't be a problem. Work wouldn't be a problem. For some of you, you know that friend and you maybe or a relative and you're just thinking, man, if they would just focus, they wouldn't have these issues. They would keep the same job. They would be in the same relationship. They would just, just know how to focus. Some of you, I think about this on Sunday mornings, if they would just focus, I mean, am I that boring? Is it that hard? You know, what do I need to do? Jump up and down, wear a monkey on my head? Like, what do I need to do to get them to to focus. Focus is a big deal. I think we can all agree it's a big deal. I think we can also agree that faith is a big deal. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, him being God. Faith is a big deal. Faith is powerful. The Bible says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, be removed hence, and it will do it. Saying that your faith has great power. So we understand that focus has power and faith have power. Could you imagine if we put the two together, what could happen? It'd be incredible. If we combined our faith and our focus, great things could happen. It's no accident that Joseph turns out, Christian. It's no accident at the end of his life, he has survived what would be the sexual temptations of his youth. He went through that. He passed that test. He would be, it's amazing that once he received power, he passed that test. He had the power to execute his own family, to get revenge, to be, get even, to, to kind of wipe the slate clean, so to speak. He had that power. But what did he do with that power? Instead of saying, hey, I've got the power to make them suffer. Instead, he forgave them. Instead, he restored them. That's what he did with power. And with power, we know also comes money. And we know that in the stewardship of the Pharaoh of Egypt, he helped keep the nation going financially. Didn't uh, take any money off the side, didn't steal any. Instead, he was good with the money. He passed the three major tests that you and I face. The sexual temptation, the power that can corrupt, and then also that money can corrupt. He passed all of them. But how did he make it? Especially in a culture like Egypt. Egypt throughout scripture represent a worldly, perverse, and vile culture. How did he survive in a culture that was corrupt? This should encourage each one of us parents that we can raise children, even with the laws that are passing, even with society going the direction it's going, that we can still raise a godly family, even a society like this. And you see, what happened was Joseph had a focused faith. And you and I, if we're going to make it through, if we're going to survive, it's going to be because you and I have a faith that is focused on something. Too often we say, well, I've got faith, but it's not focused. It's all over the place. Could you imagine you're going to go in for LASIK surgery? And when you go in there, you're laying on the little thing and the doctor's about to do that little eyeball pop thing where they kind of do the little laser and then it's crazy and all that stuff. And he instead puts you in the chair, adjusts you just right, pulls out a mag flashlight and starts shining this flashlight in your eye. 
You're thinking, Doc, what are you doing? I mean, this, this is crazy. You need to see my pupil dilate or something? What's going on here? And the doctor's like, I'm doing LASIK surgery. Just hold still. This will only last a moment. You're thinking, you're not doing LASIK surgery. Like, I just paid 800 bucks for nothing. Like, no, that's not LASIK surgery. And he's like, yes, it is. It's light. And you're thinking, no, no, no. You see, the reality is he needs a laser. What is a laser? A laser is the same light. It's just focused. That's where it has the power. You see, your life has great power that God wants to use with untapped potential. But the problem with you and I is we're not focused. We're not saying, Lord, I want to be used in a mighty way. Instead, we're spread so thin and we kind of criticize other people and say, well, they're a mile wide and an inch deep. So they're having no impact. And then we look at our own life and we say that we're the exact same. We have no focus of our faith. So we wonder why at the job we have no testimony. Instead, we blend in. We look like everybody else and everybody else is surprised that on Sunday we check in at church. They're like, whoa, hey, uh, who would have thought that? Didn't see that one coming. Or they're surprised that we will say a prayer before we eat lunch. Or they're surprised. Why? Because our faith is not focused. Or we go to a high school and we just blend in like everybody else. Or we can just go to some uh, environment. We just kind of act and do everything that everybody else would do. Our life has no focus. And so Joseph, he decided a long time before he ever got to Egypt that he was going to have a focused faith. My question for you and I is, is our faith focused? Do you know what you're supposed to accomplish? Do you know what God has for your life? Or are you just living day by day, just kind of hoping that things turn out right? Instead of saying, you know what? I want to have a family that turns out. I want to have a relationship that turns out. I want to have children that turn out. I want to have a church that goes to distance. Hey, I want to have a walk with God that goes to distance. So I've got to step back and say, where is my life not focused and get some focus in my life? You see, it would have been easy for Joseph to get distracted. It would have been easy for him to kind of lose that focus. But instead, he had it. You see, focus Changes the game. Changes the game. But not just focus. Focus that's combined with faith. How is our faith this morning? How is it? You see, you can have a faith that functions even in a dysfunctional world. Many Christians today are hiding their faith. We're just like Matthew 5. Where the Bible talks about hiding our light under a bushel. Instead of being a city that is set upon a hill, we're hiding our light. We live in a world where it seems like Christians more and more, even though 75% of Americans still identify as a Bible-believing Christian, they identify with that. We look at our world and we're thinking, well, well, how are we so messed up? Why is crime on the rise? Why is there still abortion? Why is there still such uh, uh, hate crimes? And why does it seem like we're just heading the wrong direction? Why does it seem like every time we turn on the news, something perverse and immoral happens? Why does it seem like our world is just so disgusting? And I'm just looking back and I'm thinking, three-fourths of Americans say they're Christians and this is the world we have? And it's because you and I, we've stepped back. Instead of being having a focused faith, we have this faith that just doesn't really do much. Doesn't have that impact. It's kind of like that flashlight. You just kind of shine it. It doesn't really blind any. It doesn't burn. It doesn't do anything. Come on, we've all been there. We get a magnifying glass and get the sun and you're burning little bugs. We've all been there and get that laser going, a light paper on fire and things like that. And, and, and we, we know what it takes to have focus. But how come in our Christian life, we don't have that focus? Where it's time to get back to it. Hey, we're real quiet this morning. So that means either I'm preaching really good or we're all asleep. So one of the two. So if I have to wake us up, we need to get with it. It's okay to say amen. It's okay to nod your head. It's okay. I need a little love this morning. Okay, church. So you just kind of help me out. See, when it comes to this faith, we need to step out. 
But let's go back to our passage this morning. In verse number 17, the Bibles, they send this kind of emissary. They, they pick out some brothers and say, hey, you go to Joseph and smooth this thing over. You make sure he doesn't do anything bad. The rest of us are going to stay over here. Like, who drew the short stick on that job, right? Like, they think Joseph's going to kill him, so they find a couple brothers that are going to go. Like, hey, at least he gets you guys first, you know, and uh, you guys will go first, and then we'll at least, we'll escape back to Israel, okay? So they drew the short straw, and they went, and they, they follow up. You see, they had the wrong influence. They saw the wrong thing about Joseph. I put it like this. Don't let people's mistrust of you keep you from ministering to them. They mistrusted Joseph. That's plain and simple. They mistrusted him. They didn't believe him. They didn't think that he was going to live up to what he said he would do. They had this deep mistrust. And sometimes you and I, we say, well, I want to have this faith that helps people. I want to have this faith that makes a difference. But man, they just don't trust me. As soon as they hear I'm a Christian, they run from me. Don't let people's mistrust of you keep you from ministering to them. It's our job to minister. The Bible says, for the Son of Man is come not only to seek and to save, but he came not to be served, but to serve. That's our goal as well as believers. It's our job that we say, hey, how can I serve one another? God gave me this faith. Faith is a tool. Tools need to be used. Faith needs to be exercised. Needs to be put in action. What am I doing with my faith? Many of us think that God put us on here just to acquire knowledge, just to keep learning about him. And don't get me wrong. We need a study to show ourselves approved. We need to learn. We need to know more about God. But at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, when we stand before God, we want to hear him say, well, Done, thou good and faithful servant. Not well said, not well sung, not well known, not well studied all the books, but well done. You need to put your faith into action. So let me ask you this question. What are you doing with your faith? Are you putting it into action? Are you putting it into use at your job? Are you putting it into use in the church? Are you putting it into use in your marriage? Are you putting it into use in your home? How are you putting it into use? But instead, we've got all kinds of Christians that just say, oh no, I know a lot about the Bible. I'm impressed by your knowledge of the Greek and Hebrew. That's wonderful. Good for you. But I find today that more Christians are educated far above their level of obedience. We know way more about the Bible than we're actually putting into practice. If we would just take what we actually know and live it out, this world would be a different place. But instead, we just step back and we think, well, the world doesn't trust us Christians and the world thinks this about us. That's not for us to say, okay, give up. It's for us to say, no, I'm gonna be different. I'm gonna change things. I'm gonna love them. I'm gonna serve them. And the best way we can show God's love is when we serve one another. Our devotion to God is best expressed by our love for others. That's one of our core convictions here at the church. So if you're new here, you need to know that. What makes the culture why you like coming to this church is because we believe that our devotion to God is best expressed in our love for one another. That's why we'll do community events. We'll invite thousands of people to come. We'll give them free eggs. That's why we'll buy Christmas trees and give them out to the community for free. That's why we'll do stuff in the mall. We'll just kind of uh, find organizations that are doing something. Say, hey, we want to make sure you are funded to do what you guys need to do. We're here in the community to engage the community because we believe that the love of God is felt when we express it and God wants to do something through you. But instead, we just think, well, I'll just park it on my knowledge and just all that I know and I'll impress people by my knowledge. Knowledge does not bring about transformation, church. I wish it did. I really wish it did. I love the gym. I love studying, working out. I love watching diet plans. And man, if that was true, I could go into the gym and man, just being in the gym and just knowing all this knowledge, all of a sudden I should have a sick 
six-pack. I should have biceps that are awesome. I mean, I should have real beach muscles. You know, those kinds where sun's out, guns out kind of thing, where you're just all excited to go and show them off. Like, that would be awesome if knowledge could bring about. But knowledge does not bring about transformation. Work does. And we, in the Christian faith, we're afraid of the word work. Man, when it comes time to serve and we see our names on that list, it's like, wait, hey, what's a good excuse I can get out of coming to church today? I don't want to be a greeter. I don't want to be a Sunday school teacher. I don't want to be a nursery. I don't want to do anything. I just want to sit on my blessed behind and just take in the message. I'm going to eat, 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 but I ain't doing jack. I'm not using my time, treasures, or talents for God. And God says, no, no, no. We need to use those to minister to people. We need to be using those. You see, if you are not serving, you are just existing. Your life was meant for ministry. Please write that down. Your life is meant for ministry. You say, no, 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 ministry is for the full-time people. The people that, man, they got pastor in front of their name. The people that go to a Bible college. No, 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 your life is meant for ministry. I don't care what your background is, what your career is. God has a ministry for you. Your ministry may be to your employees of that company you run. Your ministry may be to your wife and to your children, but everybody has a ministry. Everybody has a ministry and they need to find it. If you don't have one, we want to help you get involved in a ministry. Your life can tell a great story. Joseph Joseph said, I don't care if my brothers mistrust me. I am still going to talk kindly with them, and I'm still going to take care of them. That's what Joseph decided to do. So don't let people's mistrust of you keep you from ministering to them. Also, don't let disaster derail you from your destination. You see, it took a focused faith to get to that destination. You see, too many times in Joseph's life, it was disaster. One thing after the next. Come on, his life starts out chapter 37, chapter 38. He ends up in a pit and everything he saw was pitiful. Work with me, church. Come on. I know. I worked all week on that. Come on. Got to help me out a little bit, okay? That's what pastors do. We don't really have a job. So we just kind of, what's a good joke, you know? And so that took me all week. All right. Man, my wife's just rolling her eyes. She's like, you got to be kidding me. And so when it comes to things like like Joseph's life, we got to look at it and say, you know what? He started out and he was probably like, God, you gave me this dream. You gave me this vision. And now I'm in a pit and I can hear my brothers. And you know what they're talking about? Should we hang him? Should we burn him? Should we tie him behind a chariot and drag him through the desert? All of a sudden, they hear some camels and some merchant men and they're singing Prince Ali, Ali is he. And they decide to sell him to those merchant men. I don't know. It took something. I had to work something up. I'm, I'm, I'm trying, church. I'm trying. I know some of us are sleeping. So they sold their, their brother to the Ishmaelites. They didn't want to kill him. And so they sold him. And he's thinking, okay, I'm sold into slavery. I'm property. I'm somebody's property. He went from being coat of many colors, meant he had a position, meant he had power. It meant that he was going to have the birthright, meant he was the next guy in charge. So he went from the top to the bottom. And he's thinking, How's this going to work out? His life just went from perfect to a disaster. And then he thinks it gets bad. He, he becomes a slave and a servant of Potiphar's house. And he starts to work back up the ranks. And just when he is second command in his master's house, and he's thinking, maybe I can buy my freedom. Maybe I can earn my freedom. Maybe if I get a pointed position, I could travel and I could get home and I could get back to my family and they can buy me back and explain what happened. And he gets there and all of a sudden, from that point, he's falsely accused and he's put into prison. But not just any prison, a political prison, a supermax prison. That's the king, Pharaoh's prison that he's put into. And he's thinking, great. I had, at least I had freedom over there. I mean, it was limited, but I had something. Now I'm in a prison. You know what happened to those political refugees in asylum in those prisons? They were executed. So imagine you're on death row, just kind of waiting out your time. He meets a butler and then he meets a baker. And then they both have dreams. And one of the dreams he sees that, hey, this baker, he baked his last bread. It's over. It's done. Like, you you know, tomorrow about this time, 
The king's going to execute you. Pharaoh's going to execute you. And so he's there for two years. And it would have been easy to look at the disaster of his life and think, man, it's just derailed. And some of you have been through so much, it would be easy to look back at your past and say, hey, I've been through too much. I've experienced too much pain, too much heartache. It's derailed. My destination, I'm done. I'm giving up. I'm walking away. Joseph had every excuse. And we would have agreed. Nobody would have looked at Joseph any different. After everything he went through, everything he's been, we would have been like, yeah, Joseph, I, I, I get you. Hey, you made the best decision you could. You fought hard. Man, you went from being a prisoner, you were a slave, and man, you just couldn't take it in prison. You just couldn't take it. We get why you gave up. Hey, you did your best. Isn't that what we do? Come on, that's the day and age we live in. Participation ribbons. Everybody gets a trophy. What did you do? You showed up, so you get a trophy. Congratulations. You're average. You know, I mean, that's just kind of the society we live in. And we celebrate average. And that's just what we want. And everybody's like, as long as I'm average, okay? I just want to find the average. And that's what Joseph could have settled for. And a lot of people today would have been like, he's still a great guy. But he wasn't going to do that. Satan wants to derail your destiny. He wants to derail your dreams. The calling God has placed on your life. Are you going to let him? You know, I could take this mic and I could hand it to each and every one of you. And we could spend the next several weeks talking about all the hurt and all the pain and all the scars in each one of our lives. Because we all have it. And you're sitting here thinking, no, I'm too young. It'll happen to you. I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. You're going to experience some things. You're going to experience some pain. This week, I got some news from a good friend. Unexpected news. And it just kind of comes out of nowhere. We're just thinking, not that to that person. Lord, why them? Why would you do that? And there's so much hurt, so much trial. And we as a church sometimes have done a poor job encouraging people through it. Instead, we're almost like, well, yeah, you gave up. It's okay. Instead of saying, no, there's still fight left in you. The job's not done. You have a calling on your life. Yeah, you lost your coat, but you still have your calling. God's still got a purpose on your life. Have you lost your faith focus? See, that's what happens when we let the disasters derail our destiny. We act as if it's done. It's over. And I'm telling you right now, you're still breathing. You still have a mission. You still have a plan. You still have a purpose. God's favor, God's love is still on your life. He still wants to use you. He wants to empower you. He wants to do something great through you. And yeah, you may be in that 22-year period where it just seems like this has been going on and on and on. And God is speaking to your heart right now saying, I'm not done with you. I'm not finished with you. I've got great plans for you. You see, Joseph could never imagine that one day his brothers were going to kneel before him, that one day Pharaoh would call him his father. He looked at Joseph, and the Bible says that Joseph was a father to Pharaoh. He became a father figure of the number one ruler, superpower in that day and age. That was Joseph. He became something of prominence and position. You see, instead, we're looking at it, and we're saying, God, there's no way. God is saying, no, this way. You're saying, God, there's no way. And God's saying, no, 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 this way. Instead of saying, God, okay, I'm going to trust your way. It's an old verse. We have it memorized. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. If we trust him, if we'll follow the Holy Spirit's leading. You ever heard the phrase, or have you ever said this to somebody, you're talking to somebody, you're Skyping with somebody? By the way, if you ever FaceTime me, I'm going to freak out. Like somebody was trying to FaceTime me, and I, I knew who they were, but I just, I don't know. My kids are going to be totally fine with FaceTime. Anybody else kind of creeps you out looking at somebody as you're talking? I just can't do it. Like I'm looking at your schnoz, and I'm just like, 
whoa, I know it's not that big, but it looks larger than life. Like, man, oh, man. And so this person called me once FaceTime, and then they called me back, and I just text them, I'm sorry. I, I must have a weird phobia that they haven't discovered yet, but no, we just got to talk, you know, like normal people on a phone and just kind of got to talk through this. And you ever said on a phone call, hey, I wish you were here. Wish you were here. You ever written a letter? Wish you were here. You were dating that special somebody? Wish you were here. You know, God's saying the exact same thing to you. I wish you were here where I want you to be. I wish you weren't there where you are, but I wish you were here. You see, some of us have gotten derailed in our destiny. Derailed in the dream and the calling, the purpose that God has placed on our life. And so God is saying to you this morning with his still small voice, I wish you were here. Not where you are. I wish you were here. But you know what keeps you and I from getting there? It's because we have good intentions. And good intentions don't get us to our destination. It's direction, not intention, that determines destination. But instead, we have all these good intentions. And God is saying, hey, enough with your good intentions that next week you'll get your life in order. That, that tomorrow you'll start reading your Bible again. That tomorrow you'll make that phone call. That tomorrow you'll make things right. Instead, do it today. Do it right now. Take care of these things. Get things restored. Get things right. Stop carrying that load. Stop carrying that burden. Let's go forward. Let's get to where you're supposed to be. That's what Joseph is saying here. He's saying, hey, God meant this for good. This is where we're supposed to be, is what he's saying. Isn't that incredible? After everything he had been through, he's saying, this was supposed to happen. This was God's plan all along. After all the hurt, all the misjudgment, all the misfortune, Joseph is saying to his brothers, this was God's plan for our lives. Yeah, it's painful. Yeah, we don't fully understand it. And that's the problem. We try to tie our understanding with God's purpose and we miss out on God's purpose because we're trying to tie our understanding to God's purpose. And the Bible says, for his ways are not our ways, for they are higher and they're above. And God sees a perspective that you and I don't have. It's the same perspective that you have over your children. My children think the street is a great place to play. They just think it's awesome, especially if they have helmets. And they think that, man, cars are just like great things. I mean, cars talk. I mean, they watch the Cars movies. All cars talk, and they're really friendly. They don't know that cars can kill them, and cars can run them over, and they just think the street is safe. They don't have the perspective of a parent, and you and I don't have the perspective that God has. So God says, hey, I'm leading your steps, and it may seem painful, but it's not. I remember one time when we were taking our daughter to go get shots. I have this phobia about needles. You'll find maybe I'm, I'm afraid of a lot of things, you know, and so um, you, you're just going to discover that. I'm afraid of the dark, afraid of needles, afraid of spiders. I'm afraid of you. I mean, it's just everything. I'm just afraid of it. And so when it comes to these phobias, and I remember taking Megan for her first doctor's appointment, and I just think it's cruel how many shots kids get. I mean, they just get tons and tons of shots. My wife, on the other hand, she loves shots. I mean, that's just great. Um, we would go into the appointment. They say, hey, she's gonna, Megan's going to get two shots, and Jane would be like, well, when's the next one? Let's just do them all right now. Like, right now, let's just give them. They were like, no, ma'am, um, you can't have them all right now. Why? I don't want to come back. Let's just do it, you know? I'm like, Megan's poor little chunky thighs, you know? Like, how many, how many needles can they take, you know? And I remember as Megan at first didn't know what was going on. You know, that first time, kids are just, you know, drooling over everywhere, you know? And they're drooling all over you. They're all happy and they're smiling. I mean, they're looking at this needle as it slowly inches closer to their skin, about to pierce them. And they're just looking at it. And all of a sudden, they go, ah! You know, they freak out because now the needle's in their leg. They don't understand it. They were happy. And then I remember the nurse saying something that I just thought was profound. This is not going to be good to you, but it's good for you. I was like, wow, that's some wisdom right there. It's not good to you, but it's good for you. 
Sometimes the thing God does or allows in your life aren't good to you, but they are good for you. And that's hard to swallow sometimes. It's hard for me to take. It's hard for me to hear when a good friend gets bad news about a disease. It's hard for me to hear that a loved one has passed away. It's hard for me to hear that, oh, you've been rejected. It's hard. We don't understand it. It's hard. But God is still speaking that, hey, I still want you to be here. And I'm going to use this to get you here. And Joseph is saying to his brothers, this was God's plan to get us here. To save much people alive. You see, direction, not intention, determines destination. Discipline, not desire, will determine your destiny. So many times we just want to ignore discipline. But God is saying, hey, focus. But then lastly, don't be led by your senses, but by the Spirit. It would have been really easy in this moment for all of them to just act emotionally. That's what the brothers are doing. They're acting by their senses, aren't they? They're just kind of freaking out. Dad's dead. Joseph's going to get revenge. What are they listening to? The Spirit? No. They're listening to their own emotions taking over. You and I, our emotions take over. You've ever been in the car with that one crazy person that doesn't know how to drive? You're like, who gave them a driver's license? And I'm in their car. Do I have a death wish? What was I thinking? Did I wake up this morning saying I want to die and see Jesus today? Why am I in the car with this person? And you're hitting that imaginary brake that is not in your side of the car. You're grabbing the death grip on the side. Your leg is on the dashboard. And they're like, we haven't even pulled out of the driveway. And you're just like, it's already freaking me out. I just can't handle it. You know, this person just kind of out of control. And you're just, you're just like, whoa, I can't handle this. And that's how some of you are to the Holy Spirit. God's like, just trust me. I can take care of this. And you're just resisting with everything. And God's like, don't resist. Don't resist. It's like the person that hits turbulence on the airplane. And once they land, they're just like, man, that was the worst trip ever. I didn't sit down at all. I was afraid the plane was going to crash if I sat down. So you didn't sit down at all. Like that had nothing to do with it. It didn't have any, you standing or sitting did not affect whether or not that plane was going to crash. Sorry, guys. I know you're flying back home in a couple days. You know, don't want to put that thought on your mind. I'm sure it's safe. Very safe. Hope so. And um, when it comes to our senses being led by the Holy Spirit, the Bible's over and over and over is getting us to trust him. You see, our faith is not how it will happen, but in who will make it happen. What is the object of our faith? Our faith is not in ourselves. Our faith is not how will this all work out? God, how are you going to pay the bills? How are you going to restore the relationship? How are you going to fix everything I've messed up? How are you going to get me through college? How are you going to get me through high school? How are you going to get me that job? How are you going to get me in that relationship? How am I going to get married? How am I going to deal with all these things that I have to deal with? How, 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 how? And God's saying it's not in the how, it's in the who. It's in who? Who is our faith in? The focus of our faith is not in how, but in who? Who is our faith in? If we don't have time, but in Hebrews chapter number 11, I discovered that Joseph is mentioned in Hebrews chapter number 11. And then I had to do a little bit more research. Hebrews chapter number 11, for some of you that may not know, is what what we would call really the hall of faith, or it's the hall of fame for all the famous Bible characters. And they were all in there because why? They exercised great faith. Joseph's in there because he had great faith, not in his ability to be the right-handed command, but his faith in God. He had a focused faith that saw him through the difficult times. You see, the life of Joseph is proof that your faith can function in a dysfunctional world. You still can have faith. Some of you are like, but the facts, but the facts. Can I say this? The facts don't make it final. 
I would write that down. Facts don't make it final. The facts are they did nail Jesus to a cross and he did die. That's a fact, okay? The fact is Joseph was still sold as a slave. That's a fact. But the truth is that Jesus on the third day rose again out of a borrowed tomb. And the truth is today, the facts don't make it final in your life. So whatever facts that Satan is telling you, you're no good. It's over. It's too late. I want you this morning to reject that negative thinking, to reject that and claim the truth that Jesus Christ is alive. He's well, he's living inside and he wants to do something great in my life. He's got a purpose for me. He's got a plan for me. And he's going to do something this morning through my life. If I will simply but yield to it this morning. Church, we've got to. We've got to. But too often, we lean to our own circumstances. You see, you don't have to have good news to have a good report. You can say, Lord, it's not about the facts. It's about my faith this morning. Also, a lack of faith is a sign of a broken focus, isn't it? Our lack of faith is a sign of broken focus. Think about Peter as he's walking across the water. What happened? He broke his focus. That's when he began to sink. When you feel like you're sinking and you're struggling, it's a broken focus. That's what it is. It's not that God isn't strong enough. It's not that your faith isn't strong enough. Many of you, that's what you think. You think the reason I'm going through this is because I don't have any faith and I'm a horrible Christian and I can't do this. No, it's about the focus. That's why we have to have a focused faith. Joseph was able to keep a focused faith. Let's end the scripture. Notice if you would, verse number 24. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. And God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land and the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Did you see it? He said, God's going to take us out. I may not be alive, but God's going to do it. Even on his deathbed, he still got a faith focus. He still got it. Folks, after everything he had been through, after everything you've been through, don't allow your focus to be broken. It's not that your faith is weak. It's that your focus was broken. So this morning, don't get discouraged that you feel like my faith is not strong enough. It's not your faith. It's your focus. How's your focus this morning? Your focus is so important. Where are your focus? But some of us, when you say, Lord, help me with my faith. Sometimes it's a struggle to size up our situation and say, God, I just feel like my situation is so big. And God says, you're focused on the wrong thing. Hebrews chapter number 12 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, the completer of our faith. That's Jesus. He's the author of it. And he's the completer. He's the finisher. You, we, we look at that language and just think, that's a nice verse. Been memorizing all through all my life. You know, looking on Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. You don't get it. The author is the creator of the faith. And he's the completer. He's the one that's going to see us through on this thing. He's going to take care of our faith. We got to take care of our focus. How is our faith this morning? Is it focused? Let's all stand. Heads bowed, eyes closed.